Hey, what's up? This is Chris Ristali of Realm of the Mist Entertainment, and you're checking out Misery Point Radio. Sexy beasts. Thanks for hanging out again on Misery Point Radio. Sorry I left you hanging, but I had to take a week off because of life and stuff, so I hope you enjoyed that last double episode with Eric Meyer from Dark Angel. I trust that was enough to get you through two weeks. I know, you miss me. I'm sorry I left you in the dark, but fear not. Now I'm back and ready to pile on the awesomeness with an unreal combination of pop culture, music, podcasting, and wrestling. <laughs> I just heard you mumble. What the fuck did he just say? Well, allow me to explain myself. Today's guest, Christopher Stolle, runs a podcast and entertainment network called Realm of the Mist Entertainment. In addition to his own podcast, Breaking the Fourth Wall and In the Pit, both of which I was recently honored by guesting on, Realm of the Mist encompasses other podcasts and pages dedicated to pop culture, gaming, and music. Additionally, Chris was a wrestler in his past life, getting his start in backyard wrestling before moving to the performance circuit where he earned his millions. Not really. And if that wasn't enough, in addition to running a network and going incognito to hide from the still-living members of his former wrestling life, Chris is also a musician. And though he took some time off from his band, Disillusion Purity, and the music biz in general to focus on family, he is back in action and working on a solo project, Forgotten, marking a new chapter in his already busy life. This was a super chill conversation with a regular down-to-earth dude who truly does his best to support all kinds of art from all kinds of artists, be it seasoned pros or truly independent and the underground. Honestly, it's a formula that's not entirely different than mine, and maybe that's why I was looking forward to having an epic bullshit session with him. So, that being said, take off that Lucha Libre mask, put down that can of Aquanet, and pull up those tiger stripe spandex, and welcome to Misery Point Radio, Christopher Stolle. All right, Chris, hey, welcome to the show, man. I feel like we just did this recently. I, I swear, deja vu. <laughs> hey, I, I want to thank you again for for having me on your show. In fact, on both your shows, that was that was pretty awesome. I've been a been a fan of breaking the fourth wall for a long time, and I appreciate you letting me uh, break the cherry on uh, on in the pit. That was super badass. Uh, it's all right. I've got a uh, idea coming up now since uh, EA EA Games has announced a new Star Wars game. Oh. Um, and- so Journal of Jedi's got to cover it, and I was I was thinking about inviting you on. All right, on yeah, I'm there. I'm a, I'm a Star Wars nerd for sure. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I, I guess we've already established, uh, you know, between your show, you know, that that you and I have kind of a lot of stuff in common. But let's we'll kind of introduce my audience uh, to you. So I guess let's uh, let's talk about your origin story. So what got you into podcasting to begin with? I used to listen to podcasts while I worked. Um, I was a uh, uh, a, a building maintenance uh, mechanic for an apartment complex. And uh, when I would work on empty apartments, I got tired of hearing like the radio all the time and all. So through my phone on YouTube, I started listening to podcasts. And being a Star Wars fan, of course, I looked for Star Wars talk shows. And I discovered a uh, show called uh, Jedi Council by Collider, uh, now the Schmoes Network. Um, and I just I got into what they were doing and it made me explore other podcasts like uh, like uh, uh, Hollywood Babylon, Fat Man on Batman. Uh, <laughs> I love that show. <laughs> <laughs> you know, started discovering uh, Collider Movie Talk and all, and I just I I got enraptured about enraptured with these guys and girls sitting down and just you know BSing about movies, and so I'm like, well, hell, I could do that. And so a friend of mine and I, uh, he had an idea that was born from when he was in college and he had a magazine called America's Pop Culture Magazine. And uh, when I pitched the idea of doing the podcast to him, he ran with it and we, we started America's, uh, America, uh, Pop, America's Pop Culture Magazine. And he wanted it to be uh, very, very PC, very PG, you know, um, talk about certain things. And his mind frame was always Star Trek and Marvel. That was all he talked about. And I, I wanted to dig deeper. And of course I wanted to go into Star Wars and stuff. <laughs> so 
I asked him if he would mind if I broke off and made the quote unquote adult version of America's pop culture and created Breaking the Fourth Wall. Okay. And got a couple friends uh, with me and we started uh, started through a phone. We set my cell phone on speakerphone, set it down on a table uh, with a digital recorder right next to it. And we would just sit and bullshit about movies, pretending we were some form of critic. <laughs> I think we all do that. Yeah. And it really didn't work out all too well. Uh, sound quality was terrible. People didn't really care about our subject matter. They did get a kick out of some of our more uh, sillier shows, like when we were like, you know, asking questions like, is that really a sport? Because we started looking up like things that people considered a sport. It's like, really? Like we found one where you uh, – for an example, and this one blew my mind. I still remember this four years later. We found one where there was a competition where you were on uh, water skis being dragged behind a boat and you had to keep your balance while ironing a shirt. <laughs> where was the ironing board at? On the skis. On the skis. So, it, spread, so spread across the two skis or was it on a slalom mm-hmm. ski? No, it was on spread across the two skis, the ironing board, <laughs> and you're sitting there with a, uh, I guess, a battery-operated iron. You've got an iron shirt, pants, stuff like that, while controlling your balance being dragged by a speedboat. <laughs> yeah, I could see the real-world application of that. I mean, it seems to be like that's a skill that many people are lacking. It's probably holding them back in life. You know, so, I mean, those were the ones that got attention, and so I, I closed down breaking the fourth wall for a minute, uh, revamped it, bought a decent computer. Well, at the time was decent. It's not anymore. Um, <laughs> and started learning about how to do this the right way and relaunched Breaking the Fourth Wall for its second season uh, where I had a panel of people and that did a little better. Um, we we branched out of just doing movies and started branching into, you know, whatever topic it would be. Uh, we did delve into politics and I learned very quickly that that was a bad idea. <laughs> uh, you know, but everything else, we would just talk about, you know, whatever topic was on our mind that day and uh, tried to structure it. Just didn't work. Uh, after that, I closed down uh, breaking the fourth wall and opened Realm of the Mist podcast because of the fact at this point is when I opened a uh, network company. Yeah. Uh, completely by accident. I'll get into that in a minute, but I'm giving the history of breaking the fourth wall yeah. before we go into the other part. Um, and I did that for about a year and, uh, it was the idea when I got in contact with Steve Joyner about, uh, taking on some of his clients and doing some interviews with them is when the idea of, Hey, I could always bring back breaking the fourth wall and turn it into a, an interview show. And, uh, that's what I did. And that's actually the niche that fourth wall belonged and that's where we're at now. <laughs> yeah. And an interesting concept because I, I think when we, when we talk about the phrase, the fourth wall, I think a lot of people in modern society are familiar with it through Deadpool because that's always kind of been associated with Deadpool of which I am somewhat of a Deadpool nerd, but not super hardcore. But um, so when we talk about breaking the fourth wall, we talk about kind of pulling yourself out of an element to put yourself into a different element. So how does that concept relate to the show? How did you come up with the name initially? And then since you've morphed the show, how does that name tie into what you're doing now? Well, with that, when I originally came up with a name, uh, it actually stemmed from my wrestling career um, as as uh, the character of Matt Wilde. When I would do promos, uh, which are which are video interviews or, or skits, uh, I was constantly breaking the fourth wall. I, it, it became part of my stint. You know, like I would walk up and sniff the camera and swear that I could smell the people watching the videos popcorn. And like it, it, it was silly shit, but it, it was uh, – it, it's basically where that came from because uh, with leaving America's Pop Culture magazine, I had stated to them that I wanted to go beyond what he was doing. And I didn't want to be censored in doing it. So to me, it was like I was breaking the fourth wall of America's pop culture magazine. And so that that's where the name originated from. And originally, like I said, it was it was us talking about behind the scenes shit that we really didn't know about. But we felt we were breaking the fourth wall. Now, the concept, what it means to me is that since I am interviewing and then the style that I try to interview, I try not to do the the bland uh 
what everybody does like you know on entertainment tonight the cold the cold questions and you know edit here's my question here's your answer it's all one sentence and we move on to the next point right they're treated as a conversation to me i'm breaking the wall of the celebrity whoever it is i'm i'm talking to and learning about the person behind the mythos yeah to me again that's that's breaking down the fourth wall everybody sees angelina jolie for example they see her as tomb raider or as the the, the, the actress and i'm learning about you know what day she does laundry <laughs> Because I want to, I want to humanize the people that I have on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you mentioned that you know fourth wall has now morphed kind of into an interview platform. You also do the Realm of the Mist podcast, or you did? Are you still doing that one? It's it, it's on hiatus. I don't know if I'll bring it back. It, it, it was it, to me, it was like. Um, when Realm of the Mist Entertainment launched as a as a network or entertainment company, however you want to call it, I thought it was stupid that Fourth Wall was the flag show, the flagship show okay. of the network. And that's why it switched over to Realm of the Mist podcast. Um, I felt the network should be represented by a show named after the network. But nobody really got it. Nobody really cared. So I may bring it back um, if I find the right niche and fit for it. But for now, no. Realm of Mist uh, podcast is gone. So you were doing Fourth Wall and then you decided that you wanted more? I mean, so the the idea for the network, at what point did that pop into your fucking noggin that you wanted to, to do more than just one show? I was uh, messing around on Facebook and social media trying to promote Fourth Wall, and uh, I got approached by a guy who uh, is named uh, John Mark Tully, who was a big Star Wars fan. We met on a Star Wars group chat, and uh, he was telling me how he dug the podcast thing, and he loves Star Wars, and he wanted to do a Star Wars podcast. But he didn't know the way of starting, and he was picking my brain on how you do it. And I'm like, dude, I'm like the last person on the planet that can <laughs> – you know, but all right, you know, I'll, I'll sit down with you and, and uh, I'll tell you what I've been doing and, you know, I'll have you on my show. Why don't you come on? We'll sit down and we'll, we'll bullshit about movies a little bit. I like Star Wars. And that ventured into me helping him uh, develop his podcast show called uh, War of the Stars, the Star Wars podcast. And uh, he became the first member of Realm of the Mist because once I established it and started releasing it for him, um, I realized that I wanted to protect the interest of everybody involved. So, so you, you uh, hosted his show too then? Yes. Okay. Yes, it, it, was, it, was one, it was Realm of the Mist's first original besides Breaking the Fourth Wall. Um, and so, you know, I wanted to protect his interest as much as Fourth Wall and and – once we started doing this, we started meeting other people and they wanted to be involved in, in the group. And what started out as just people wanting to, to share ideas and, and guests on each other's podcasts wound up becoming, well, I really dig this group. I really want to, you know, work alongside this group and all. And that's where I said, I, I got to protect everybody's interests. As a musician years ago uh, in 2007, I had a band called Disillusion Purity. And to protect the rights of Disillusion Purity, I had actually uh, copyrighted Realm of the Mist Entertainment and put everything under that copyright to protect the music, the imagery, and, and, and stuff of that nature. I still own the rights to it, even though Disillusion Purity was long since gone and wasn't doing anything with it. So I turned Realm of the Mist, uh, the corporation, into Realm of the Mist Entertainment and protected everybody's uh, assets that way. And it blew up beyond anything I wanted it to be. Like, I never set out to create a network. I never set out to create an entertainment company. I, I wanted to protect some of my friends' interests. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> yeah, right. So how many shows are on the network currently? Currently, uh, there is, well, that's, that's a hard question because... Uh, well, this is true. You've done some, you've done some reforming as of recently. Well, it's not just the reforming. Like, I, it, it, it'd be hard to sit there and say all the shows that have been on Realm of the Mist at one point. But what makes it hard is Realm of the Mist has gone beyond just uh, protecting interests of people involved to uh, syndication. So there are many shows that show up on Realm of the Mist's uh, 
channels wherever they may be that aren't necessarily realm the myths we just syndicate them oh so you know uh as far as homebrewed shows there's uh obviously breaking the fourth wall there's journal of the jedi there's blown spot wrestling podcast there's in the pit now <laughs> and uh there's uh, it had to be said with venus and uh tinfoil hat society and i know i'm forgetting one somewhere <laughs> I know I'm forgetting one. There's at least seven homebrewed shows and followed up with at least uh, seven to eight syndicated shows. So we release pretty much daily. Oh, that's crazy. And are you got your hands in every one of those projects in some capacity? Uh, I kind of shied away from uh, it had to be said with Venus and Tinfoil Hat Society because Venus is a very, very capable hostess and has figured out how to do what she does without me. Got it. Uh, so I, I make a ping. I, I, I make appearances here or there, but pretty much I handle all the other ones right now. And, uh, she, she's got free reign to do how she does. <laughs> right on. And in addition to podcasts, I was kind of poking around on your site. You've also got some kind of blogs and pages dedicated to like tabletop gaming and things like that. We launched a separate channel dedicated to to video games and board games and and stuff of that nature called Sounds Dicey Gaming. Yeah, uh, which originally was entitled uh, Press A Gaming, but it was a, a former member who came up with the name for uh, Sounds Dicey when we were running a D and D campaign podcast called uh, Chronicles of the Lost Realm, and it was just perfect. So. That's what it became. Right now, that's on hiatus, too, because of, with the revamp and the reformation, a lot of the people that were involved with Sounds Dicey are no longer with Sounds Dicey. Uh, so. so it's on hiatus, but at some point, it'll it'll be reborn with maybe a new form, new members, new concepts, but kind of keep the, the core concept the same. Exactly. And I mean, I still run the video game playthroughs of it, Let's Play, so I mean, there's still, you know things that happen on the channel, but uh, those were never the big draw to Sounds Dice. The big draw was the uh, the tabletop video, uh, not ta- video game, but the tabletop role play experience, listening to us be idiots while rolling dice, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, I recently heard for the first time, and I know it's super old at this point, but a friend of mine showed me the uh, Roll a D6 video, and I don't know why I laughed so hard, but I had tears fucking running out of my eyes. And I ran a game store for almost 15 years at, at various levels. And so I've had every name tossed at me, been called, you know, nerd, geek, loser, all this kind of stuff. And nothing to me is funnier than watching in the store tabletop nerds versus video game nerds fucking duke it out it's the best thing ever it's so it's so hilarious and uh i can't tell you how many times i've I've been in the middle of like a game launch and then like a group will walk in and literally set up a table in the middle of my sales floor and i'll be like hey you know that's cool and all but you can't do that there and they get really mad at you like what do you mean i can't do it here i'm like well that's where the line is and you can't set up a fucking table with 12 people in the middle of my sales floor (laughs) (laughs) It, 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 it stems back to like I'm, I'm, I'm on a show right now where you predominantly deal with music. When I was in high school, um, I was a musician, you know, and I was I carried myself as the loner rocker in high school. Sure. I had a select group of friends that I hung out with. But, you know, I was kind of the mystery kid that everybody was curious about in one way, shape or form or another. But I, I was very much a closet nerd. You know, in the sense that like on a Friday night, my friends want to go out drinking or whatever else. Oh, no, I can't. I I, I got to work on the the band or something. And I didn't. What I was doing is I was sneaking off to uh, play D&D with my buddies. <laughs> yeah, my other buddies. You know what I mean? That nobody knew about. You, you, back in the day, you very much had to closet the fact that you were into nerd culture. Yeah. Um, I I love the fact. I mean, podcast. My podcast wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the fact that nerd culture has become very very mainstream. And the guy with the pocket protector and glasses back in the day, who would be shunned by society, is now pretty much honored in yeah. today to society. So I'm all about that. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. Well, you know, you've touched on it a few times at this point, and, and I guess let's just kind of bring this back home then. So. Aside from all the cool podcast stuff you do, running a a pretty awesome network and just really having your fingers in all areas of pop culture, one of the things that you and I have in common is music. We're both musicians. So when did the music bug bite you? When did you get into it? 
Well, I was always raised around music, but I was raised around like the older music. Like my grandparents and my mother, you know, had me cut my teeth on Glenn Miller, uh, Elvis Presley, uh, the Everly Brothers, you know, and stuff like that. And I mean, I was introduced to music from basically birth, especially rock music. Um, but it was it, like I said, it was the classic. It was the oldies. And it wasn't until uh, I broke my arm in the fourth grade and my parents uh, decided because of the fact that I couldn't really go out that summer and all that uh, while healing the arm, they decided to get cable. And uh, I discovered MTV. <laughs> <laughs> Flipping through the channels, I discovered MTV. And the first ever video, I can tell you right now, the first ever video I saw was the debut, actually. I, I remember it, it, it perfectly was that it was the uh, MTV exclusive premiere of Bon Jovi's Born to Be My Baby. Yeah, and back then it was, uh, they had it, the, the big graphic, it was world premiere video with the spinning WPM and all the kind of stuff like that. So yeah, <laughs> that would have been, uh, yep. yeah, that would have been around what, 86, 87, somewhere in there? 86, 87. And by the end of that video, just watching them having fun and everything else, I said, that's what I want to do in my life. And I automatically ran into my mother's bedroom. She had an old 55 vintage K acoustic guitar, pulled that shit out of the closet, and I said, I'm going to learn to play guitar. <laughs> and failed miserably for many years. <laughs> and, you know, as as that happened, I started telling my friends about, like, you know, what was going on. And a buddy of mine's like, oh, you like Bon Jovi, huh? Well, check this out. And he hands me the Ultimate Sin album by Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah. You know, on cassette. And then after I dug into Ozzy, he hands me Master of Puppets by Metallica. And it's like, oh, check this out. And that was my journey into rock and metal, modern rock and metal. And by the time I was 13 years old, I was jamming Slayer and everything else and, and got decently involved with, with – uh, with guitar, but I still wasn't great musically. But what I did start learning is that I paid very much attention to how people sang and uh, the the composition of lyrics. And that's where I discovered I had a niche for not only arranging songs, but writing stories within lyrics and passably singing. I'm, I won't say I'm a singer. I always called myself a storyteller more than a singer. Right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I think I have a passable voice, but I think I think the draw of what I write is is the story that I put within the lyrics. And that started my journey down the music path. I mean, I can't think of many times in my life I wasn't in some form of band or or working on some form of music in some sh way, shape or form since. And I'm 43 years old now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so 30 years. Yeah. Yeah, it's really funny you mention it too because there's that progression I think that a lot of us go through. You're introduced to something and you just think at the time you're like, oh my God, my mind is blown. This is the most extreme. I can't believe it. In your case, it was Bon Jovi, right? And then you go from Bon Jovi and you're like, holy fuck, Ozzy Osbourne. And you go, this kid, there can't be anything more extreme than Ozzy Osbourne. This motherfucker's biting heads off bats and, and things are going crazy. And, you know, and then all of a sudden you get your hands on Slayer and then you get your hands on, you know, any number of bands. And it just is constantly like heavier and heavier and heavier. And then more evil, more evil, more bad, more extreme. You know, you just want, you want more. And it's not that you ever put aside the things that you once liked, but it's just kind of like, as you move on, you realize that you just crave the next step and the stuff that you started with kind of becomes a part of your origin and it never really goes away. In fact, you and I talked about that on in the pit how much you and I both kind of appreciated the hair metal, <laughs> even though even though it's not really appreciated anymore and it doesn't have the level of respect, I think, because of the imagery and, you know, reasons X, Y, and Z. But you know, at the end of the day, you can listen to all the stuff you want, all the all the evil metal and, and you know, the thrash and the death and the hardcore and the grindcore. But sometimes that guilty pleasure, you're driving down the road and, you know, fucking rat comes on guess what you're doing you're not turning that station are you you're listening to it and you're singing along and i think that's what i like so much about music is because it forms memories it forms emotions it forms feelings and when you hear those songs it kind of takes you back in a nostalgic sense to 
a specific point in your life. And I think that's really one of the key things that separates a musician from just a music fan is because musicians sometimes take those emotions and feelings and they they have to apply them to something because their head says there's got to be more there's got to be more i mean i'm listening to this and and now i feel the need to to engage in some activity and uh, you know like a, a music fan will be like i just want to keep listening to that song because it makes me feel a certain way and a musician goes right. it makes me want to do something in a certain way so mm-hmm. it's really funny how how those uh how those old bands the appreciation never really goes away, even if like there's a, a time in your life when you want to pretend like it's not there. <laughs> well, th- the thing is, is like it, 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 growing up that way. And my, I mean, if you, if you grabbed my phone right now and, and pulled up my Spotify playlist, for example, your mind would be blown that I have, you know, things like Meshuggah and, and, uh, Cannibal Corpse sitting next to Glenn Miller and Harry Connick Jr. Yeah. Because I love all music, you know, uh, for the most part, I don't care for modern rap, but I mean, um, you know, most, most styles of music, not only do I have an appreciation for, and I find songs or I find bands that I gravitate towards, but really throughout the catalog of the music I used to play, I took a lot of inspiration from a lot of different formats. Um, you know, there's like for the last band I was in dissolution purity, we had a jazz song, (laughs) were a hard rock band that had an eight minute jazz song we used to call it our cashmere although not as good (laughs) Um, suicide you know and i mean lyrically it was dark it was it was evil but music and arrange wise it was an eight minute jazz tune you know and and i always i i especially towards the later part of my career i i stopped worrying about going into a genre of music when I, when I wrote, instead of worrying about that, I got to write grindcore or I got to write industrial or I've got to write uh, heavy metal. I say, I'm going to write a song and it will decide what it is. If, if I wind up writing a fucking country song, then you're getting a country song. Yeah. How was the response to that uh, mentality from your listeners or your friends or your family? Did they understand it or did they be like, you're fucking crazy, dude? Uh, well, it's kind of a mixture of both. My family never cared about my yeah. music. My, my mother hated the fact that I was a musician. Uh, she loved the fact that I loved music, but having aspirations of being a, a rock star, if you will, uh, she always told me they all die of an early age of drug overdoses. Yeah. So when I became a professional wrestler, I was scared to tell her. <laughs> it's like, she thinks that about musicians. Imagine the, you know, the champagne and painkiller cocktails and steroids. I'm sure she'll love that. Um, <laughs> You know, but uh, in in reality, it's uh, a lot of the people that supported the bands I were in supported the bands that 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 they were. So if we decided to go an eclectic way, even if it wasn't their favorite song, they still supported the fact that we expressed ourselves how we wanted to. Sure. Yeah, that's a it's a tough one when you when you have influences from multiple genres, and sometimes you'll find that you'll have a song that might reflect multiple genres. But what gets tricky is when you have, let's say an album, right? And your album has four rock songs, one country inspired song, one like metal song, and then maybe like a ballad. And then your audience can be like, I don't really know what to fucking call these guys. And therein lies the problem with, we need to classify everything, right? It's uh, built into our heads that we have to say, you're this kind, you're this kind of musician, you're this kind of a band, you're, 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 Post hardcore, your post punk, your your metalcore, your hard rock, your heavy metal, your you're just straight rock. I mean, what the fuck? It's really hard sometimes for people who don't fall within a classification because then people get confused. Like, I just don't know what to do with this. I mean, we we kind of like in Disillusion Purity, for example, again, uh, we did kind of classify ourselves because I knew our style was completely different. Mm-hmm. Like. I sent you two songs of Dissolution Purity, and they are completely different from each other. Right. I, I definitely uh, noticed that. I made the comment. I was like, wow, there's three songs here, and they're all different. <laughs> <laughs> well, two of them were Dissolution Purity, and I can tell you right now, the two that I sent, All Things Must End, was, was very Pink Floyd-inspired. Uh, yeah. Uh, Needful Things, which I called our radio-friendly song, um, even though it was you know vulgar, uh, that was heavily, heavily influenced by uh, Megadeth's Peace Sells, But Who's Buying? Yeah. You know, so, I mean, we always took inspiration from what was around us. But, I mean, 
again, we the the next song is a drop of suicide, and that's an, a jazz tune. And then we have mental masturbation, which is very very blues yeah. blues based. You no, know? uh, very basic blues. Um, to to be example, like the bam 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 repeated for fucking twelve minutes. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like. And then we had the like deep, deep songs like uh, Loss of Innocence, which were, you know, I would say kind of influenced by new metal. But w- at the end of the day, we decided like we're not hard enough to be heavy metal, but we're too hard to be rock and roll. So we called ourselves aggressive rock. Yeah. We, we kind of designed our own little <laughs> subgenre of music by calling ourselves aggressive rock. And I thought that was the most fitting. Because I, I felt that gave us the freedom to do whatever it is we wanted to do. Yeah, I I've, I like that phrase of aggressive rock. You know, I, I'm known to kind of throw out the word experimental sometimes. If I if I refer to bands that are they're doing things that other people maybe aren't doing the same, rather than try to put them in a genre, I'll just say, hey man, these guys are fucking experimental. You know, and and have at it. That's really cool. Your your music that I've heard has a tinge of metal. It has a tinge of what became known as alternative. Um, it has a very Seattle sound in some cases to it, which is near and dear to my heart because that's the area that I'm at. Um, it's got some really cool, just kind of classic rock kind of vibe to it as well. So it's definitely, um, there's a lot of different elements to it, which I appreciated. What was the cause of uh, Dissolution Purity dissolving? <laughs> I moved back to Philly and got married and had children. <laughs> uh, we, were, we were in Colorado, and uh, I mean, the band was popular and all, but the mother of my oldest child and I re- reconnected and, and reconciled, and I couldn't get her to move to Colorado, and I, I felt the best place that I could be was home with my family. And, uh, of course, the band agreed, and it, it, I don't regret my children. I regret my ex-wife now. Um, but I don't regret my children. What I do regret is the fact that that band out of all the bands I've ever been in, I've been in a lot of bands and most of them ain't worth talking about because they never made it out of the garage. Uh, but with disillusion purity and this is, you know, I I say this, it's going to come out arrogant. I don't mean it to be arrogant. It's just something I truly feel in my heart. I think that band had the greatest chance of going the distance. Yeah. It was just the right amalgamation of people. And I'd, Forget my writing, forget my vocals and, and how I could or could not sing and just look at the musicianship of the band that was with me. I mean, my lead guitarist, Josh Serbo, there's no reason why he isn't making billions of dollars touring the world. That boy has hellacious amounts of, of talent and uh, there has never been a better bassist uh, as far as a showman is concerned in, in, in underground music than Buddy Christ and and – the king of the paradiddle drums, uh, fucking uh, Dan Dan Capon, you know, giving me a backbeat and everything. And um, I mean, even even we went through two different uh, rhythm guitarists, but I mean, we had the young influence of of Zane Lindley originally, and we finished with uh, you know the 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 perfect mimic I called him because anything that Josh wrote, he figured out in ten seconds. Scott Wolf, you know, and it was just it was the perfect band. And uh, I, I literally feel humbled and privileged that I was able to even put out what little I was with this band because I truly believe they would have been lightning in the bottle had we kept going. Yeah. Did they continue on in some capacity after you left, like with the same members, or did they just everybody went their own ways at that point? Well, I, I for the most part, I know Scott went into uh, the army, so he he left music completely. Uh, Josh and Buddy for a while uh, were in another, a couple other bands. Nobody, nobody continued Dissolution Purity. Yeah, uh, we we all felt it was done um, when we walked away. You know, it, I guess it just didn't feel right trying to do it with somebody else. You know, it's like Guns N' Roses, Axles, uh, Chinese Democracy. Yeah, you you just, you just don't throw Guns N' Roses on it when it's not Guns N' Roses. You know, um, but you know, uh, Josh and and Buddy continued on. They did a couple bands together. I'm, I'm blanking names of, of the bands they were in right now so i apologize but uh you know they 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 did that for a while and then they broke off and did their own things i know josh is still working with a uh, internet band that he works with uh called uh poseidon poseidon's anger uh which is a really great progressive metal band they uh 
they write together and then they get vocalists from all around the world. And it, it, it's usually very uh, uh, mythology based uh, content. So it, it's if you have a chance to check that out, they're they're on Spotify and all. Go check out Poseidon's Anger. It's an awesome, awesome band. Yeah, I love that. Um, and I'm buddy. I know has been uh, working with a lot of different bands, and and Dan did the same route I did. He uh, he gave up music for you know for the family life and all. So sure. I mean, no, a couple of them moved on to other other projects, and most of us just moved on to life. Yeah, <laughs> life. <laughs> well, now you've announced a return of sorts. You've got a solo project that you're doing which is slated to be released hopefully sometime this year. Tell us about that. Uh, well, it's it's slated for Christmas. I, I want it out by Christmas. And I've been releasing tracks here or there. Uh, but basically, even though Disillusion Purity ended and uh, the music stopped for, for as far as producing out things for people to listen to, I never stopped writing. Uh to me, uh, it's my therapy. You know, I, I get pissed off, I get angry. Instead of punching a wall, I, I beat the shit out of my keyboard and write something passable as a poem. Um, <laughs> you know, and uh, then I shape it into lyrics. You know, when I find out there's something worth writing. Um, and I just, I one day I was looking at all those and I said, you know what? I still have something to say. Even though it's 12 years later, I've long since stopped doing wrestling. I've long since stopped doing bands, you know, and I'm messing with the podcast stuff. But nobody knows who I am anymore. Nobody know, nobody remembers me from then. You know, most people don't even remember me when they knew me then. So <laughs> that's, that's where the project got the name Forgotten. Um, you know, it was kind of my way of saying, I know I'm gone, but I'm, I shouldn't be forgotten type deal, I guess you can kind of say. And, uh, I had always been influenced by nine inch nails and, and, uh, and also I knew with doing this project, the last thing in the world I wanted to do was put together another band. It would just take too much time finding the people, finding the right people. I wanted to do this now. You know, I felt like I had something to say now. So I started looking up the uh, programs for generating beats and creating sounds and, you know, kind of going the industrial route. And, you know, I started downloading programs like Fruity Loops and, you know, stuff like that and, and toying with them and learning how to do this stuff and creating the beats and, the, and generating the sounds. And, and then I would go over live with some uh, bass and some, you know, guitar what little I know how to play and just, you know, started putting together the songs. And the, one of the first songs that I did was a, the song I sent to you, um, close my eyes. And that became the official first single of the, of the album, which ironically doesn't really sound industrial. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely not. <laughs> there are industrial influences in a lot of the other songs, but I I've learned that, Although I'm using industrial as a base, especially because I'm using a lot of MIDI wave files and, you know, a lot of the things I usually bitch about in music <laughs> I'm using right now, um, it's because I'm a terrible musician. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'll be the Secrets first out, folks. Secrets <laughs> out. But uh, honestly, I, I, I have caught even in myself a very heavy Pink Floyd influence. Like, uh, like Dark Side of the Moon, Wish You Were Here style influence in, in what I've been writing as of late. And uh, again, because I'm doing this all on my own, I'm producing it myself, I'm playing all the parts, you know, uh, as terrible as, as I am at doing it. Um, I don't intend to charge anybody. It's literally going to be released for free. I just, I wanted to see if I could do it. So was this you needing more musical therapy and just missing the music life and saying, I need to be involved in it still in some capacity? It pretty much is. I mean, I, I don't know if I would even continue it on, uh, in, in after forgotten is done. Um, I don't know if I would continue it on, but I do feel I need to continue music in general. Um, not in the sense of going live, although that's the greatest feeling in the world is on stage. But I know I'm 43 years old, fat and old. Nobody wants to see my <laughs> you know. But um, as long as I feel like I have something to say and I could find the right sounds to make it a story and a, and a journey – 
I, I don't see me stopping. I, I, I think, I think the worst time of my life was, uh, not having that outlet. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, I see myself continuing on, even if it's only to entertain myself. It's really funny. You know, when you look at like David Gilmore, for instance, who's released countless solo albums and they're all different from each other. Like you can't look at one David Gilmore album and go, Oh, Hey, it's exactly the same as this one. So, for you, you might have a project as opposed to a band. You go, you record your project, you release it, and then you move on and you can create an entirely different project with an entirely different concept. That sounds to be something that might be the direction that you're going. Well, it, it's kind of funny because I've had a concept that was always marked as my solo album uh, for years and years uh, that, was, that I entitled The Cell. And uh, what the cell was supposed to be was supposed to be a concept album, uh, just like in the veins of like Operation Mind Crime or or uh, Pink Floyd's The Wall. And I'm wearing a Queensryche shirt today, by the way, and I don't know if you noticed that, but one of my favorite bands of all time. I did notice that. And the cell was going to be the story of three people. The whole entire album was going to revolve around these three people who were in a holding cell in uh, in you know in prison in jail, waiting to go before a judge. Uh, that the concept of it was uh, the three people came from three different walks of life and they're all accused of something. But uh, one of them was innocent. One of them was uh, did it. But uh, but, you know, he he was remorseful for it. And one of them and spoiler uh, was a completely sadistic person who winds up getting off on a technicality. Basically the whole entire concept is how the system fails. Right. But it was going to, it was going to take a look at these three people, the walks of life they were in, what led them to the crime they committed. And then the justification or non justification of the punishment that was received beyond it. And it was all supposed to take place within the cell. So, uh, that was the concept. And I, had the idea written down, but I never worked on it. Who knows? Maybe that's the next project. I actually really like that concept, and I'm a huge fan of concept bands, concept albums. Con- you know, I just I like the idea that for me, song structure is great, and you know, melodies and harmonies and all stuff. I I love all of the pieces, but what I really like is seeing a story unfold before your eyes, which is why I love Mind Crime so much. But it's also why I'm a fan of like King Diamond and Merciful Fate because, you know, they had those really kind of dark, eerie vibes to it. You know, I really like there's a band that I like a lot called From Hell. They're like a, an Oakland band and they're kind of a, a blackened metal concept and every album is its own story. And that's really cool. So I, I appreciate storytelling in music. You know, Dark Angel, one of my favorite bands of all time. They kind of started to go that direction before they called it quits for a while. I think that if you were to pursue that, that would be super cool. Um, I, I, that would probably be a tough one to pull off solo. Might have to involve other people in it, but I, the idea to me sounds, sounds like a fantastic story. Sounds like a great fucking movie. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, why don't you write a movie? (laughs) You know what? I tried, I tried my hand at writing books and, uh, I always lose interest. And maybe that's why I'm a songwriter, you know, is because of the fact that, uh, I could tell a story in three to five minutes when I'm writing a book or, or I guess you could say a script. I want to get to the end cause I know how it ends. I want to get to the end. So I'm, I'm get bored with, you know, describing the red apple on the table, you know, sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, uh, no, I, I thought about that. If I ever did the sell, I, maybe it would be a, a collaboration album yeah. where I get musicians to together who, you know, who want to be a part of it, make the music, get other vocalists. I think, I think that would be a great concept is, uh, maybe I would do a narration vocals and, uh, for each individual person, maybe have the story told by three different vocalists. Oh, that'd be amazing. Yeah. That might be cool. Yeah. yeah so that it, again, it, it, it's, it's a concept. It's a piece of paper right now. It's not something I'm working on at the moment, but it's something I've been working on for the idea of, for God, 15 years sometimes it takes a while for those you know plans to fully germinate and then one day the little thing that's rattling around inside your fucking stink hole just jumps out and it just makes sense right you're like oh now it's ready and then and then it's born to the world so well in addition to podcasting and musicianing 
You've also touched on it a couple times, and I, I, I didn't want to forget about it. But let's talk about your wrestling, man. Um, so you, you were a you were a pro wrestler, and how did you get involved in wrestling? And how do you define pro? Uh, and I, I guess tell me about that whole life. I got into it by complete accident. Um, <laughs> my friends and I used to do the shit that you're not supposed to do at home, you know, the backyard wrestling. You know? and, <laughs> and we, it was literally, we got drunk. A friend of ours uh, worked at a, uh, a youth organization, uh, you know, uh, one of those places like, uh, like uh, you know, baseball fields and, and stuff like that sure. and had the uh, gym in the inside. And he would sneak us in in the middle of the night because he had keys and we'd pull down the gymnastic mats and do the wrestling shit and fucking get drunk while doing it. And one day my buddies heard about a wrestling convention coming to town in Philadelphia and, uh, you know, they wanted to make a demo tape, a VHS demo tape of us doing the backyarding and handed out at the convention to all the different promoters and shit to see if they can get discovered. It's a promo reel. A promo reel, yeah. And I thought it was the dumbest idea on the fucking planet. I'm like, I'm not doing that. Fuck that. And my buddy talked me into it. He's like, look, I'll buy you a case of beer. Just I want to wrestle you on the demo. And finally with the case of beer, I was like, you know what? I'm never going to meet these people. I don't care if they laugh at me, whatever, let's do it. So we wound up doing the match and doing the show and they made the tape and they went to the wrestling convention. And I went back to my normal life of working a nine to five job and writing songs at night. And then I got a letter in the mail about two weeks later from the Grand Wrestling Alliance in South Philadelphia. And uh, their statement was, after viewing your dark and, 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 uh, and, and amateur tape, we came to the three following conclusions. Number one, you have raw talent that could be redefined into current, uh, current mold. Number two, you have uh, a personality that could fit into uh, current storylines. Number three, you're fucking nuts. <laughs> <laughs> So we'd like to invite you to try out for training at the Grand Wrestling Alliance. And I was gobstopped. I just, I didn't know what the hell. I'm like, what? This has got to be a joke, right? You know, who the hell is the Grand Wrestling Alliance? Who's Izzy Avalis? You know, and I go, my buddies, a couple of the other buddies got the letter too. So we all went to the tryout. And I found out I had a knack for this. You know, and uh, for throwing so, people around in small confined areas. Well, the first day, the first day of training, you didn't get to do all that stuff. The tryout was running the ropes, which sucked, and learning to do a couple of the falls. And the first day, I had the trainers pushing me back to do the back bump, and you know, I guess I had a natural ability of, of the fall and and the sell that they just were like, "This kid's a natural. Watch this," you know, and stuff like that, and. I don't know. I just I just kept going. And uh, next thing you know, I got my first show six months later. And uh, it was ironic because they were pushing for me to be uh, Matt Jericho, Chris Jericho's little cousin. Right. And because I was a decent Matt wrestler and they, I reminded them of Chris Jericho. That was that was their justification for Matt Jericho. And uh, actually from Ozzy Osbourne is where I stole the last name Wild. Yeah. And <laughs> so uh you know, and I had my first match, and the rest, as I say, is history. I just, I had a knack for it. I loved being out uh, in front of the crowd and working them. Most of my career as a bad guy, but I did have a, a stint as a good guy, and so I loved having the ability of controlling their emotions, whether it was making them hate me or making them love me, you know, and, and root for me, and uh, just the stories that were, again, the stories that were able to be told in 10, 15 minutes worth of time you know, was very appealing to me. And I just kept going until the day I was like, you know what? It's time to stop before I wind up walking around like uh, Mick Foley does. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and these were paying gigs. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, when I started out, I was lucky if I got a sandwich or a slice of pizza, but by the, by the end of it, I would at least make see $250 plus, you know, merchandising and, you know, stuff like that. So, I mean, it, it wasn't a living, but it paid. Yeah. It's kind of like being a musician minus the paying part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember uh, playing shows 
and when I was like 15 and 16 and playing bars, which, you know, you have to get in, get out, load your shit in, go hang out and you can't hang out in the, in the building. But then when it come time to, to ask for the money, getting paid in beer, you know, I'd be like, Hey, we're like 16 dude. And I don't care. <laughs> you know what? I, with disillusion purity, we actually found the niche that worked. We, uh, we became a house band Yeah, for a uh, place out in, uh, in Colorado and, uh, excuse me. They would have us on, and they would they would have us once a month. But they uh, they would have us on with like two other bands. They they can't wound up becoming our opening acts, which really sucks because like mid I remember Midnight Rider, and they were they were a million times better than we were. You know what I mean? Like there, there's just no nice way to put it. They 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 skunked us every fucking time, <laughs> but they were, they were our opening act because the crowd just loved us, and we would do two hour sets. You know, an hour of original music and an hour of covers. Yeah, and. We got paid uh, basically, you know, five members in the band. We all got like a hundred bucks a piece, and uh, uh, open bar tab, which we made them pay um, <laughs> more than a hundred bucks worth. That's for sure. <laughs> and of course, we were allowed. What was funny is we were allowed to put out tip jars too. Mm. So we had two tip jars out. We had one tip the band if you're digging what we do, and uh, tip the tip us to get the fuck off stage. Nice. And we'd always to the end of the night to see which one filled up faster. <laughs> and what was the answer to that? It was always even. I, I don't think they were reading. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. But uh, two jars for the price of one, right? That's it. You know, so it was, it was always funny, but that, that was the secret. Cause I, you know, we would do plenty of battle of the bands and we would do, you know, plenty of, uh, uh, local festivals and stuff, and we didn't see a dime. We'd sell tickets, and we promote the shit out of the, the the festival or the battle of the bands. Get people there, and never saw shit for it. Yeah. But the the house band thing, oh, it was awesome. These people just love. Like I remember the the the, the biggest uh, memory of that, and I wish Josh was here because he he would he would tell you this too. Was the second time we were going to do that, and it was the first time we were headlining for him. It was, uh, I think it was the Rambling Rose was the name of the show, uh, venue. I can't remember, but uh, we had practiced that th- that day earlier that day, you know, because we were pulling out a couple new songs that were requested for us uh, to do uh, cover wise. Plus, we were debuting two brand new Disillusion Purity songs, and the practice was horrible. We sucked. <laughs> oh. We- we fucked everything up. We couldn't even do the songs that we've been doing for months prior. Like everything was just horrible. We we're like, man, we're going to, we're going to totally stink up the stage. It's going to be terrible. We show up to the venue and, uh, midnight riders on, you know, and we're getting out of the cars and shit. People are turning around, dude, dips here. Cause they call us dip dips here, dips here. And like, Oh yeah, we can't wait for you guys to take this. It's like, yeah, no pressure. The place was fucking packed for disillusion purity. We're sitting there sweating like we're going to fucking bomb, dude. These people are going to hate us. We're going to get totally booed off stage. By grace of God, man, somehow, some way, not only did we nail everything, but we had to do two encore sets. Damn. I don't. I don't know how the fuck we pulled it off, you know? <laughs> but I, I, that was, that was the magic of that place. And I, I think, I think it was just the crowd. The crowd was just awesome. Yeah. I love that. You know, it's true. Venues can have an effect on the crowd. You know, there's certain venues that are known to put on legendary shows and there's certain venues that are known to, you know, pretty much not, you know, it's, 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 part of it's luck of the draw on where you end up. But you know, once you're there, ultimately it's, it really is on you to take that built in crowd and make it your crowd. So sounds like you guys were, were well on the way to doing that. And I hope now that you're kind of revitalizing your musical interest, that your new solo project will at least give you some sense of, you know, rebirth to your, your musical needs. Well, my, my, my hope for, for forgotten is really, I'm putting it out there to see if I can. That's, and that's why I'm making it for free. Yeah. You know, is I just want to see if I could do this. Uh, but in reality, if five people download the tunes and dig what I'm doing to me, the album's a success. Yeah. It, it's not, it's not being made for hopes of, of revitalizing any type of music career. It's not being made to revitalize, you know, justification of me putting together another band or anything else it's being put out and then the fact that i feel like i have something to say i need to get it off my chest 
And if anybody understands it and, and, and gets it and enjoys it, then that's a, that's a win to me. Awesome. Well, what's next then? What are, what are we going to hear from, for you next? Probably, uh, some episodes, of your podcast coming up. Uh, what do we got coming down the pike? Oh crap! Well, you're gonna make me pull that a hole. Give me a second while I pull up the uh, list because I got a couple. Well, I, like I said, I am working on an idea for a Journal of the Jedi with them announcing a brand new Star Wars uh, flight simulator game, Squadrons. I want to talk about that, so that's coming up. Cool. Uh, I'm working out a deal of uh, an old wrestler named Snitsky coming on to uh, Blown Spot, so that's coming up. Uh, I just got done doing an interview with Jesse Blaze Snyder, and I'm having him back on in the pit. So uh, we're going to be talking music with, uh, you know, the kid of D. Snyder. You can't beat that. Yeah, epic. <laughs> and uh, as far as breaking the fourth wall, oh yeah, I've got plenty of uh, interviews coming up here. Uh, it's loading. Give me a second here. Uh, I've got Joe Finfera and Francesca Mancelli coming up this coming week. So. Uh, Plenty, plenty more interviews coming, and uh, I've got a couple more down the pike. There's surprises, but I think people are going to be pleasantly surprised with what comes. So. Yeah, and as far as your your uh, forgotten, are you going to be releasing any more singles anytime soon? Uh, yeah, as soon as I have them ready. It's, uh, the biggest thing is I want to make sure that I'm satisfied with them. Yeah. Like, I don't want to put them out, and, and I know music just like movies just like, everything else is art and in the end you never finish them you just kind of release them yeah but i don't i don't want to do that i don't want the representation of it even though i know i'm you know a lot of it's basic and 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 uh and you know maybe not something that you would expect as far as like quality i guess you could say like something you would hear on the radio or whatever yeah but i wanted to sound like just a junk guy doing it in a garage on a computer sure fair enough (laughs) there's a lot of that in the world that's for sure so i want to i want to make sure that it's it's up to some some standard before i release it but i i do know that i'm working on a uh brand new track now i've still got to lay the vocals for it i did finish music to it uh that will be releasing uh, relatively soon um, called You Can't Kill the Dead. So that may be the next track that releases. Awesome. Well, let's plug all your social media sites as well as any other pages or projects that you may want to promote. Well, I mean, we could always promote my uh, my uh, fans-only page. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's promote your OnlyFans page where you can get your hands on all of the naked pictures of Chris Stolle that you could ever possibly hope for, but only if you donate generously, right? That's it, and I promise they're blown up for uh, <laughs> bigger than actual size. <laughs> no, my- <laughs> nice. <laughs> now, um... Yeah, guys, just uh, if if you enjoy entertainment and you enjoy like good conversations, just go to YouTube and look up Realm of the Mist Entertainment or Anchor or any of the other places and, and type in Realm of the Mist Entertainment. You'll find us. You'll find all the shows on there uh, and check them out. Like we're on Spotify. We're on Pandora. We're on iTunes. You know, all, all the great places that you can find uh, quality podcasts and just give a listen. Give a shout. Let your friends know what's going on. I'd like to be interactive. So, you know, whether it's on YouTube or otherwise, leave a comment, questions. I'd love to read them. I'd love to interact with you. I'd love to read them on air. You know, maybe maybe one of my guests, you have a question for them. You know, so these are all great things I would love to do. And, of course, the biggest thing I would say is just support the local artist. It doesn't matter if it's a podcaster, a musician, uh, an independent filmmaker, you know, uh, an independent professional wrestler. It doesn't matter. Just support the arts because, you know, as much as we all love the big name celebrities and, and the mainstream pop culture, you got to remember for every one of them, there's thousands of us and we're going to work that much harder to make as best and as quality product as we can for you. So always, always support the podcast community, the music community, the film community, the art community, the sport community uh, in your local areas. Or, you know, don't just check out Realm of the Mist. Check out Mike Peacock. Check out uh, Try Not to Laugh. Check out all the great shows. I want everybody to succeed. Awesome. Sound advice, folks. Take it from a pro. 
Chris, this has been awesome, dude. I appreciate you coming and hanging out on my show. Uh, it's always a, a pleasure to talk to you, and uh, definitely looking forward to seeing what you got coming up on your solo project. Looking forward to your upcoming episodes on all your badass podcasts, and looking forward to everything else that you got in the works right now. So thanks for honoring me today with uh, with your presence on Misery Point Radio. Uh, it's pleasure's mine. Well, there you have it. Fourth wall broken. Done. Be sure to check out Realm of the Mist Entertainment on their website, as well as follow them on all of their awesome social media channels. Check them out on YouTube or Anchor FM. And thanks again, Chris, for hanging out. And thanks again to all of you, the brainwashed listeners, for giving up another hour of your lives to contribute to the cause of sharing art and creativity with the world. And don't forget, you can check out Misery Point Radio wherever podcasts are found. iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, YouTube, and on the Spoilerverse Network. Now let's take a trip back in time and close this out with an older tune from Disillusioned Purity. This one's called Loss of Innocence. Why does a good man have to Another piece of shit to the ball.